Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. So, I'm gonna start off with a question for you guys. And feel free to chime in. There's gonna be a little bit of audience interaction today. Um, I kinda need Nate here. What does it mean to you guys when I say the word worship? Or to go deeper, what does it mean to worship? When I say the word worship, what words come to mind? What's that? I didn't hear what you said, but I'm sure it was good. Um, What else? Most of us, what do we think about in a church setting? Singing, right? And that's quite interesting because to actually worship God has so much meaning and there's so many layers to that question. But what we've done, and I think what happens a lot is sometimes in Christian culture, we use certain words um, that mean, that we think mean something. Um, And we just assume that everybody knows what that word means. And then what happens over time is we start using and using and using those words and it almost becomes like a boy that cried wolf thing, right? So what we see biblically is um, in the Old Testament going on, worship meant something. And then over time, we started making it mean something else. And just because I tell you that worship doesn't only mean singing, right, or throwing my hands up or or praising God, um, doesn't mean that that isn't a form to do it. But what what we find in studying the Bible is there's so many ways to worship God, and I think we as a big C church only understand one of those things. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight, right? The words that come to mind when we say worship. And worship is something that big churches do well, right? Or do they? The history of worship, what did we see in the Old Testament when people started worshiping? Well, we saw people bring sacrifices, and we saw God appear to people, and prayers and praise, right? And then what happened is we started seeing prophets come forward, and they started teaching us how to worship. And a lot of that was through prayer and and just spiritually being with God, right? Something that the Old Testament um, Israelites couldn't do. And then Jesus comes, right? And Jesus teaches us a, a a drastic new way of worshiping, right? He started talking about ideas that we worship with our resources, not just with our prayers, right? With our money, um, with our thoughts, with our time, with our God-given skills, right? Worshiping, what we find, right, is that a lot of it happens in our heart. And we're going to talk about the difference between praise and worship and all of that stuff, But to truly come forward to God, and we talked about it a lot at Bible study this morning, I love the precursor, a lot of what goes on between us and God we think happens in our mind, or we think happens physically, because that's our default mode as humans, but most of our interaction and spiritual time with God happens in our heart, which is what he cares about, right? So so we saw that with Jesus, and then Now we start to see the church forming, right? The Bible's available to everybody now. It's been translated into different languages. And now we have resources like like a microphone, right? And I have this, a little microphone that'll fit in my ear. And I get Caleb and Emily all of these microphones that they can sing. 
and we start doing these awesome things, these awesome songs and awesome ways of physically praising God, right? And then that's where we're at, and all of that is wonderful things. But I think over time as we evolve, our technology has made us stupider, which is a weird word because stupider is, in itself is not a smart word. But technology has made us dumber, and I think that's kind of what's happened as Christians. Not that we don't understand how to worship, because we do, but we don't do it deep enough or on a, a, enough of a spiritual level. And that's going to come to be the, the basis, right? Oftentimes we, uh, of tonight's sermon, oftentimes we think of worshiping God as singing, but what we find is there are many layers to this, right? And the reason I want to talk about this tonight is, like I said, I'm going to ask everybody next week not to just attend or be here online because we're doing this special service and I want you guys to hear um, Caleb and Emily and their, their amazing gifts. But I want us as a church, especially Sunday evening where I have the most control, I want us to understand and come back around to what worshiping God is. Because the significance of Christmas is falling upon us, right? And that in itself is something that we've dumbed down and that we've taken away from the birth of Jesus Christ. So I kind of want to rope us in, right? Reel us in and get us to really examine a week before this happens what it means for us as a church to worship so we can be ready to do that on Sunday. I'm going to, that's one thing I'm going to ask of everybody and even you people online is let's come together and let's worship God. Um, Because here in a week, the reason we're doing that is because we are going to celebrate as a church, spiritually, with our souls, the most significant coming of any human to this earth, right? Um, That's why we celebrate Christmas, and it has everything to do with worship. What you'll find in this sermon is worship doesn't, doesn't just mean singing, which we've talked about, right? The actual definition can be found in these three statements, and that's what we're going to go over tonight as we read through three certain psalms. Worship means respectful devotion, loving, honoring, obeying someone who deserves our highest regard, right? Giving God our best. Worship also means acknowledging and celebrating his power and perfection and gratitude. So not just giving God our best, but giving God our thankfulness for what he has done for us and understanding that. And lastly, worship includes understanding and awe of God's holiness. We remember how great he is and believe reverently in his presence. So figuring out a way, like worship is the best way that God and I can be one in spirit. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, Let's worship God with our minds this evening. You guys ready? So if you have your Bibles open with me first, we're going to be in Psalm 92, Psalm 96, and Psalm 100. And bear with me because we're going to read through every single one of those as a practice of worship, right? So open with me first to Psalm 92. And it says this. It is good to praise the Lord and make your music your name, O Most High. Proclaiming, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of ten-string lyres and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing your joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts. Senseless people do not know, fools do not understand, that the wicked spring up like grass and evildoers flourish. 
but you, Lord, are forever exalted. For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish and all evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like the wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen defeat of my adversaries. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. So one common theme we see, right? What do we know about the Psalms? Most of them were written by who? David, that is correct. Thank you to my audience right here. Um, David wrote most of these Psalms, and, and they're either meant to be actual songs or poems and or both, right? And, and most of them either, either um, include some form of wisdom, but most of them are just praising God, right? And that's interesting because a couple weeks ago, we learned kind of the character of David and his life and, and what happened to him. And after all of that, how he still praised God. So my question when we read through this first Psalm, Psalm 92 is this. What does it mean to praise God? And more importantly, what is the difference? Like, because we mess these two up all the time. What is the difference between praising God and worshiping God? Anybody think about that in your mind, and I'll answer that question. Praising God is, is a physical act that we do, and we most likely do it with what? Our mouths, right? But worshiping God happens on a deeper level. It's spiritual. It happens in our heart, right? So oftentimes we, and the, church, the modern church has made us believe this, that to worship God, we need to be singing or dancing or doing something in an outward manner, right? But what we see in, in studying the biblical definitions of praise versus worship is that praising and, and the singing and the dancing is it, what we do in church is praising, right? And that is a beautiful way to do it, and it's my favorite way. Like, I, I'm a terrible singer, but I'll say, when, when they're up here next week, I will stand um, next to, to you guys, and it'll sound like somebody, like, nails on a chalkboard, but I will lift my hands and praise God because I love that. But that's not always what worship is. So as we go through, and we're going to get into it, we're going to talk about that. But the first thing I'm going to ask is don't confuse praise and worship. Praise is a form of worship, and it's, it's super important, right? Like, everybody has the need to be praised, correct? Raise your hand if you don't like to be told something good about yourself, especially in front of a crowd of people. No hands are up. Online, if you're online, put that in the chat. Raise your hand for me if that's you, but I, I know there will be zero of you. Praise is important, and it's especially important when you have a relationship with somebody. And we're called to have a relationship with God, right? So in our relationship with God, it only makes sense that that relationship is going to grow and get better, and there's going to be trust the more we let God know what he means to us. That's the definition of praise, right? Point number one, and the first line says it all here. Sorry, I'm still using this iPad. It is good to worship God, but why? 
What we see here is it's good to worship God because it reminds us that what we feel when we worship, right, that, that feeling that we get is directly proportional to God's grace. What I mean by that, and, and let me simplify that even more, when we worship, we realize that any good that we feel within us is given to us by God. And that's important because we tend to lose sight pretty fast of the good things that happen between us and God, right? Who are my married people in here or online? There's something that happens when you have a relationship with somebody for a long time, right? And I'm gonna use married people as an example here. How often do my married people forget about the great things of their partner? It happens all the time, right? Because, um, like, you live together, and now you're raising kids, and it just becomes this monotonous thing, and now he's snoring in his sleep, keeping you up all night, and you hate the way that um, her her mouth sounds when she's crunching cereal, and I'm just imagining, like, um, a Judd Apatow movie right now. Like, I'm not married, but you start to see all these negative things about each other, right? And you get to this point, and I think it's perfectly normal because we've all been to these points where you, you know, after 20 years of this, right, you probably start to ask yourself, why did I fall in love with this person at the same time? Like, he farts in his sleep and she snores and all of that stuff. And then what you usually have to do, right, is you you either seek some form of marital counseling, which um, if you are, I I suggest Mitch Gorman, he's amazing. but you have to start finding a way to get back to each other. So maybe it's a date night, or maybe it's um, going on a vacation, just you two, or maybe you two just uh, meet with your pastor and start examining why you loved each other in the first place. And that, my friends, is a description of why worship is so important between us and God. Because we as humans are negative people, right? We become these curmudgeon Christians, and we will always remember the wrong that is done to us, and we will always remember when we prayed to God and didn't get a promotion, or we, we prayed to God for healing and it didn't happen, or you know, all of those things, we remember every single one. And in the process of remembering that, what do we forget? We forget all of the goodness that had been bestowed upon us, and we forget that God wants the best for us and is favorable, right? So when we worship with our hearts, that's like us going to marriage counseling with God or, or coming back around and remembering like, hey, this is why I love God in the first place and this is why he loves me. Does that make sense? But that's what we do. We look at the negative side. So when we come together and we worship God, it's us resetting this internal setting in our heart and remembering what a good, what a good and gracious God he is to us. And I'm gonna elaborate a little bit more on that, but that's the first point, right? Worship means respectful. It says this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all gods of the nation are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Don't forget that, please. 
Splendor and majesty are, are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name, who he is, right? Bring an offering, come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all of the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. I love that. The word is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. He's a just God. That's going to be important as we go through this evening, right? Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant. I love that word. Write that down, Mitch. Everything in them. Let all the trees in the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and people's faithfulness. So David, when, when we read through these, um, and it, it's largely believed that David wrote these, although that's not fact, David seems to understand God and his nature really well, and that's because he has a relationship with God that we talked about, right? And, and some of it was rocky. Brings me to my second point. In order to worship God, we have to have some form of a relationship. Make sense? If worship happens in our heart, then I want to simply ask you guys, where is your heart at? Where are you at with God? And I think that's important to examine almost daily is because here's, here's the thing. It's possible to praise God with your lips and your heart to be far from him. Anybody ever been there? I know I have it, and I've been suffering uh, kind of from this a little bit recently, right? It's easy for me to pro proclaim God and praise him and give thanks, yet my heart just isn't in it, and I know we've all been there. So I want to ask you guys again, where is your heart at? And more importantly, what do we have to do to bring it back to God? What do we need to do to establish a relationship of worship with God? It's possible to praise with our lips and our heart to just not be there. It happens, right? A good measurement of how you can do that is reflect on the status of our godly hearts, right? When is the last time you worshiped in a place that wasn't conducive to worship? And what I mean by that, um, it's easy for me to come and be motivated and to worship within the confines of this building, right? Super easy. It's a lot harder for me to go into work on Monday and traffic made me late and I spilt coffee or I got bucked off a horse or whatever you guys do for a living. Um, and my boss is being a jerk and it's a lot harder for me to praise, right? So when is the last time your guy, you guys praised God's name in an environment that wasn't conducive to that? That'll say a lot about where your heart is with God. When is the last time, and, and when is the, let me ask you this. When was the last time you worshiped at a time when it wasn't conducive? We're probably really bad at that, I know I am. And what I mean by that is, is when is the last time you worshiped when things weren't going good for yourself? When was the last time that you reflected upon God's goodness and favor in your life when things, when you were just in the gutter and it's raining and it's pouring on you and you're down in the valley and, and you look up and you go, what else you got? Things can't get worse. 
If you can't find God's favor in those moments, then there's probably a heart issue that you and God need to work on, right? As we've said, and I think I've said it for three weeks in a row, so we're gonna go for four. God is the God of the mountain just as he is the God of the valley, and we need to treat him as such. And we need to remember that because it's important when we're going to worship God. Worship is authenticated when you do it at a job that you hate, or when you do it when you're not financially sound, or um, you do it when you're struggling in a marriage, or things like that. Like true worship, true relationship between you and God and worship is built when you do it when things are just not going your way. And that's super important for your spiritual maturity. My spiritually mature people in here are able to do that. And I think that's just a super foundation upon our relationship and worship with God is, is that we understand that he's the God of the mountain, but he's the God of the valley as well, right? When you want to quit, when you want to do, when it's just not going your way, right? I think I beat that horse to death, but where do you guys authenticate your worship? Because that's super important. Um, I know for me, I like to worship a lot and praise and all of that, but one place I, I really find myself worshiping God the most, and I don't really, this happens organically, like I'm, I'm not intentionally doing it, is when I'm out hunting. <laughs> Something about being in God's nature, and like I, I'm hiking into the mountains, and it's cold, and there's frost, and you may see um, some of God's beautiful creation, and, and you see that little satellite buck that I'm going to give Caleb a bad review on for uh, making me kill, and all a, a satellite bull, I apologize, and there's just something about that that I love, and I, I start getting that feeling in my heart, and it's hard to describe, but I just want to worship God and be like, man, the majesty of your creation and your grand master plan here is just so wonderful, where do you guys get that feeling with God outside of church or outside of praising, um, outside of worship service, where you just are like, man, God, and, and it's almost like this feeling like, this is amazing, and you're such an amazing God, I just want to hug you, right? Do you guys experience that feeling? Where do you get that? That, my friends, is the definition of worship. It can't just happen with our mouths, Something has to happen in our hearts when we do that. And there's something amazing that happens in our heart when we do that, right? Worshiping God, as we said, the, the third point, or the second point up there, means acknowledging and celebrating his power and perfection in gratitude. And that can happen in prayer. Um, I noticed, like, one thing I'm trying to work on in my prayer relationship with God is I come to him and I ask for things all the time. God, give me favor in this promotion. Give me favor, um, protect me, speak through me. Every time I go to God, my natural reaction is to ask him for something. But how often, and, I, and I'll answer this question, how often do I go to God with just thankfulness or just have a conversation with God in your prayers? That's just as important 
Um, and that's a process of worshiping is when you and God can just have those conversations like, Lord, thank you that I have the opportunity to be in your majesty out here. And thank you for the opportunity that I can physically get into the mountains and hunt and that you've had so much favor on my life that you installed such a, a great hobby for me that makes me happy and brings me closer to you. Or God, thank you for my wonderful children and that, that they're healthy and, and uh, I, I know they try me sometimes, but thank you for letting me be a parent and letting me experience what you experience with me as father and child, right? When is the last time that we thank God with our prayers? Worship includes understanding, um, I'm sorry, worship means acknowledging and celebrating his power and perfection in gratitude. You guys wanna learn to worship God better? Bring your gratitude to him. That is a form of worship. So we said, right, we, we read through the first two Psalms. Worshiping God means acknowledging, celebrating his power, right? Bringing gratitude. And then we said, worshiping means devotion, loving, honoring, obeying, praising God, right? Let's look at Psalm 100, and this is the last one. It's super short, too. Psalm 100, David says this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for God is good and his love endures forever. That's beautiful. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Last point. Worship includes understanding and, awe, and being in awe of God's holiness. We remember how great he is and behave reverently in his presence. Being in awe of God. Do you guys know what it means to be in awe? Because just like the definition of, of worship, I'm sorry, I'm getting tangled up here, right? It's another Christian thing that, that we say the word, but I don't think we exactly know what it means. We think of the words like awesome or being in awe, right? And we think that like that's just something amazing to us. But if we look at the Greek definition of the word awe, do you know what it means? It actually, the, the root of it means to fear. So when we're talking about being in awe of something, we're talking about this duality of how amazing it is, and it's so amazing that it's fearful to us as well, right? There's some respect of it. And that's important because I can tell through each and every one of you what you're in awe about. What captivates your life and what is awesome to you? You know how I can tell? Because as humans, when we are in awe of something, we share it. When we believe in something or, or it's important to us, and it, it gives us that, mo that moment of awesomeness and fear and all of those emotions that come, we share it, right? So like most of you, I, I follow a ton of you on Facebook, I can tell what you're in awe in by the way you share. I can tell what awes you and, and what captivates your life by how you conduct yourself or what you talk to me about, right? Because when we're in awe of something, we share it. So to worship God, it's super important that we have those feelings of awe. We should fear God. We should look at God's creation and say, this is amazing. 
But more importantly, what I'm going to talk about here, kind of to, to wrap this up here in a little bit, is we should be in awe of the way we're treated by God. Think about that. We should be in awe that this perfect being that created the universe, that sent his son to die for us, is our best friend and is in our corner and wants to lead every aspect of our life and be involved in that. How great is that? How great is it that 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 being wants to pour into me like uh, uh, somebody who constantly falls short and sins and goes out of my way to make trouble for him and is by no means perfect, but yet he chooses me, right? That's a form of worship because it just doesn't make sense. Like that kind of love doesn't exist in this world. And he bestows that upon me. And he bestows that upon everybody in here, right? God wants to have and chooses you in a relationship. The key word here is awe. And what does it mean? We've talked about that. But really understand how important that is. God is worthy of worship. He is our father, right? And let's examine that really quick. Let's examine that really quick so we can talk about my awe that's coming from that. The Bible tells us that God is our father, correct? And um, it actually goes more into detail and it says that, that God is essentially our adopted father. And that's a big deal in scripture time because back in those times, to adopt somebody carried a much bigger long-term uh, consequence and obligation than just being a father to somebody. Back in the day, if I was your father and you were my biological child, if you did something to disgrace our family's name, or you upset me, or you didn't do what was expected, I could literally disown you. I could, you, you, we did not have to talk. You were shunned from the family. Like we see that um, if you watch The Chosen, it happened with Matthew and his father a lot because he betrayed the Jews as a, a tax collector. But you could do that. But back in the day, and in a time where your word was a binding contract, to adopt somebody was a lifetime um, commitment. So if you adopted a child, you couldn't disown them. So when, when, when God says that, that we are his adopted children, there's so much power, and think about it today, in being chosen than being given to somebody, right? God chose us. He adopted us, right? So if, if you think, or, or has anybody in here gone through the process of adoption, and I know like, like Kevin has, and he can talk to you guys about this. But one thing they do when, when, you, when, when you sign up to adopt somebody is they give you this list of ailments and things that you could encounter with a child. And they literally have you check off like what you're willing to deal with. So, you know, um, are you willing to deal with a blind child or a mentally disabled child or a physically disabled child? And that's how they kind of judge what child would be right for you for adoption. Like, it's just this long uh, and painful process. And I say that because I think that's kind of like our relationship with God. Like, he says he's my adopted father, but yet he was handed the list on me, and I checked every element he could possibly have, right? Like, I am a pain in his butt. I would... 
any other, any other person that had that power would not choose me because I, I would just be a strain on him, right? And to me, that's so deep, and I think that's why God is worthy of our praise. Because he knows who we are, and he knows how we fall short, but yet he still loves us, right? And if that isn't worthy of worship, I don't know what else to tell you guys. Like, if that doesn't do something in your heart for God, the fact that he chose you, I don't know if I have anything else for you on this stage. And I think about it like this. Uh, Another illustration I have of God's relationship with us. I can remember times I grew up playing football my whole life, but I can remember times in elementary school and middle school um, playing football, and, and a little backstory on my dad is he wasn't the greatest encourager all the time, um, and he certainly expected a lot of me, but I can remember times of publicly messing up or losing games or things like that, and I can just remember this feeling of hanging my head and walking off the field and I just remember how my dad reacted in those situations, which those situations were very, were very counter to who he was. You know, the coaches had turned their back on me. My teammates had turned their back on me because I didn't perform to their expectations. But I can remember the joy that I felt when my dad would put his arm around me and, and tell me, dude, this isn't everything. You, you have the next one. And, and who Tyler is inside does, <laughs> is, is more important than who Tyler is on the football field. And I almost want, like, in those moments, I almost wanted to just hug my dad, right? Because nobody else in the world at that moment felt anything for me, except for shame and disgrace. But my dad went out of his way to still show me that he loves me. And that is a perfect illustration of our relationship with God again, right? When the world turns their back on us and when we fell and we fall short, God puts his arm around us and brings us in and and lets us feel his comfort. And that's important because I think that's kind of counterproductive to how we think about God in religion. And that can get in the way of us worshiping him. Like most of us that have been believers for a long time, I think especially, or, or have gone through other religions where there's more legalism, tend to think that God sits on his throne checking off in judgment on us, right? Oh, Tyler just smoked. Check. Tyler just said a cuss word. Check. Tyler didn't tithe 10%. Check, right? But what you find with your relationship with God is that he is, he is just like my dad in that situation. God is not sitting in judgment waiting for you to fell and laughing at you, but he is the father that, that puts his arm around you when, when you have publicly failed and fallen short, Right? We need, and when we think about God in the, that aspect of our lives and our relationship with him, it certainly makes it a lot easier to praise him, right? I can think, um, who are my football fans in here? One more football story, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cut this short. But last year during the AFC Championship, there was the Chiefs playing the Bengals. And it was a good game coming down to the wire. And game and the Chiefs are driving and, and it's third down and what happened is Patrick Mahomes, if you know who that is, is going to run out of bounds. And this dude that has this amazing game makes one critical mistake. 
And it's like a bang, bang play, but he ends up hitting Patrick Mahomes out of bounds. It's a 15 yard penalty. The Chiefs get into to field goal range and they end up, uh, the Bengals end up losing this game. And that, that, that player essentially, by his actions there, lost that game. And I remember like you can watch videos of his teammates just cussing him out in the locker room. And, and what happens is this dude ends up alone on the sideline and starts crying, <laughs> right? He's just crying because he just had this public failure of epic proportions in front of mil millions of people. And one of his teammates literally won 53 guys on their roster, right? 10s, 20, 30 coaches. One person in that whole organization came and put their arm around him and just sat with him. You know, this player that had this amazing game was really winning the game for them and, and messed up one time. And that's who God is in our lives, right? God is that person that puts his arm around us and comforts us when we have fallen short in the world's eyes. And my friends, that's what praise, praising God means to me. That's why I praise God is because he doesn't sit in his throne of judgment and check off our misdoings, but he loves me even though I fall short. And it just does something in my heart, right? Like I've never been worthy of a single person on this earth except the creator of the universe. He chooses me, right? That is why we worship and that is the point of worship and that's where our heart should be. I often think about it sometimes too, like with all these, you know, mass shootings and things that go on, um, do you ever think about like how those people's parents feel? If God is our father, let's think about this for a second, then I promise you we'll close out. Like what I found working in the fire department is like, I don't know, 80% of what we do is just dealing with mental health. And, um, so these people that go up and shoot schools or you know, go to, to these malls and shoot people, what I often find is, is society thinks like, where, where's the first place we go? We certainly don't blame them. We either blame the gun or whatever, and I won't get into that, um, or we blame their parents. It was something huge that happened at Columbine, right? But what I find with most of these people, and I know people like Daryl would back this up, most of them have fairly normal parents. I'm sure they messed up or maybe they enabled some behaviors, but most of them did not raise their kids in a manner that would cause them to commit this evil atrocity, right? Those are decisions that these people made on their own. So I often wonder, like after the parents get criticized, like what their relationship with their kid is after that. Do they go and visit them in prison? Do they disown them? I would, you know, because now these parents, too, have to live this life of public humiliation because of something that their kid did. They have to go to work and have people whisper and gossip about them. Um, but I often wonder, like, what their relationship with their kid is after that. And that's the last kind of description that I think I'm going to use to describe God's relationship with us. We have tendencies of evil and we do these wrongdoings and we, we humiliate God sometimes. And, and you know, maybe not, not actually humiliating him, but we do things that, that just make us fall short. But I know that God is the father that would go visit us in prison after we've committed that, right? After the world has turned their back on us 
and rightfully so. That's our relationship with God, and that is why we worship God. Because we have fallen short, but yet he still chooses us. And I think there's just something powerful in that, and when you take that frame of mind, you understand how to worship God. You understand how to bring your gratitude to him and how to pray to him and how to just be thankful for the favor he stowed upon your life. So my friends, when we get together and we worship God, and next week, especially when we become thankful that he sent his son to die for us, and that's what we're actually celebrating, not the season or the gifts or anything like that, understand that we have a relationship um, with our father of worship. And that happens because we're so unworthy, and, and, but yet he chooses us anyways. And we need to do that to remind ourselves of that favor on our lives from him, right? We get a little big for our britches sometimes or think that we're better, we're better than what we are. But in reality, we worship because it, it, it stirs up our relationship with God and it helps us to remember in the first place why we are worshiping in the first place because we're unworthy and he chose us. And that's something that happens in our heart. Um, and then if it happens in our hearts, then it starts happening with our mouth and our hands, right? But it starts here first. And that's what I'm gonna challenge everybody to do, my Sunday night people as a church, is this next week, really examine God's favor on your life and come ready to worship him for that because he is worthy. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we just thank you that, that out of all the people and, and, and all the wrongdoings that, that we constantly do every single day and how we fall short, that you still choose us. Um, I just lack gratitude sometimes, and, and I never tell you what you're worth, but yet every day you still walk side by side and pursue me and let me know what I'm worth to you, Lord. And, and there's just something amazing in that, Lord. And, and I just pray this week that, that we can remember that and that we have those feelings of just joy in our heart that we need to exalt you and to worship you because you've been so good to us. And even when, when it, it may feel like you're not good to us or that you're not bestowing favor upon our lives, you always come through in a big way. May we remember that you are the God of the valley as well. Um, and may we exalt you when we are on the mountaintop. Lord, I just pray that, that worship happens organically in our hearts and that, that we as a church come together and take care of each other and, and just learn what it means to be in community with you, Lord, because it's so important. We come to you with thanks and gratitude, and I just, in your name we pray, amen.